0: Uh, Some of you might remember, if you've been here uh, over the last several weeks, we are walking our way through the book of Ephesians, and it is fantastic. I love this book. And right now we're in chapter 3, we've already covered 1 and 2, and uh, so we're diving in chapter 3, and I I love the start of chapter 3, because Paul is on a little bit of a digression. Paul the Apostle who wrote this, and his digression is really long. (laughs) It's several paragraphs, as a matter of fact, but he is concerned About the people. Paul had a pastor's heart and he loved them and he knew that they were going to feel the pressure of the fact that even though he was expounding on these glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the beauty of the church and of how people are brought together and united through Jesus Christ, he knew that they were going to be tempted to lose heart because he was in chains. And he was suffering in a dungeness prison. And that's exactly the setting for the book of Ephesians. And you see it as he starts. If you don't mind, Jacob, to go back one slide. He starts this whole uh, digression in chapter 3 by saying, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he continues later on in chapter 3. But he stops himself and he says, okay, wait, I imagine, and uh, Jacob, can you go one more slide forward? I imagine that you are asking, verse 13, in your hearts, how do I maintain confidence when there's so much suffering, not only for Paul, he's in a prison, but also suffering for the early church. They were persecuted. They were abandoned by their own families. Life is hard. Life, is, life was hard and life is hard. We know the same uh, type of suffering. Maybe not exactly the same specific situation Paul was in or the early church is in. But if you've lived on earth for more than one day, and even then, you know suffering. Everyone knows suffering. I don't even need to go into much of an explanation about how human beings suffer. We just know it. We read about it every day in the news. And so, I compare suffering a little bit to... Being lost. Has anyone in here ever been lost in the woods? You ever gotten really, truly lost? Yeah, a few of you. If your experience was like me, it is terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. You you have this deep sense of, okay, first panic. What in the world am I going to do? And the temptation when you're lost in the woods and when you suffer in this life, is to panic and run around and get yourself in all kinds of trouble. So, hunter education classes and also parks and recreation services have come up with a helpful little acronym for us this morning. And we need to use it. Okay, here it is. This is from a hunter education class in Montana. Lots of people get lost in Montana. And guess what? No one's coming to get you. (laughs) So you need to stop, you need to stop, you need to sit down, you need to think, you need to observe, and you need to plan. That is how you can maybe get yourself out of the terror of being lost. And I want to use this for us this morning, you can see it in your notes, it's in that little insert in your bulletin. I think this is a helpful acronym for us as Paul is introducing us to how in the world does he and how do we deal with suffering. And I think this works really well. Stop. When the panic hits, when you're in the doctor's office and you figure out that oh my goodness, it's cancer. Or when you can't, the car accident phone call comes in. Or it's the middle of the night and something just broke, uh, a piece of glass seems to be shattering in the back. What do you do? What do you do when suffering hits in this life? Paul addresses it right here in Ephesians chapter 3. Stop. Stop. First of all, if you're taking notes, we got it right there in front of you. We need to stop the cycle of panic. Stop the cycle of panic. And that's what this, uh, this article and the uh, Hunter's Education and the Parks and Recreation Departments are talking about. It's really important that you don't freak out. That's another... You could also put that in your little uh, notes. Stop the cycle of freaking out. And y'all, I understand the temptation. I'm not up here going, well, I got it figured out. Every time suffering hits in my life, oh, I'm just cool and calm and collected. By no means. I panic also. But Paul, in this passage, he's saying the thing that is going to help you the most in dealing with suffering in this life is to think, observe, and plan. Now, can you go back one more slide, Jacob? I'm going to concentrate for us today on verses 8 through 13. uh, The verses 1 through 7 are important. Don't hear me wrong, but I'm concentrating on 8 through 13 because 1 through 7 is a lot of what we already covered. It's Paul describing the beauty of the gospel and amen and amen. The gospel is beautiful. But I want to focus on the fact that uh, what Paul is telling the people that he's speaking to what to think about. He says, I want you to think about something very important. Right here in verse 8. To me, and I love his humility. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I know we've already mentioned this from the book of Ephesians, but it bears repeating. The riches of Christ. Now, all of us connect immediately with the idea about earthly riches, right? How many of us don't want to win the lottery? right? I mean, have you ever daydreamed about getting rich? I certainly have. Um, some of you may have achieved that. Don't hear me the wrong way. But uh, most people, even if they have a lot of money, want more of it. It's really great to have a lot of money. Here's some of the things that, um, as I reflected on this, here are some of the things that money brings into a person's life. Comfort. Oh, yeah. You can buy the car with the heated, leather seats, heated, yeah, just push a button, boom, winter solved. (laughs) Riches bring security, there's a sense in which, you know what, I can take care of myself when I'm old, and I can take care of my kids when I'm old, and I have a sense of security about life, riches bring hope, okay, I have a future, because I have a million dollars in the bank, and I'm going to have fun traveling the world. Uh, whenever I get out of this mundane job that I'm in right now. Um, Also, a couple of other things I thought about that that earthly riches bring. Power. Those who are... I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you see somebody step out of a really, really nice car like a Lamborghini, you're like, they must be powerful. Or at least you think they're amazing. Um, There's influence that comes with uh, riches and a lot of possessions. You can buy a lot of stuff. You can have a garage that has 23 doors and each of those can have an individual car within them. You have a lot of possessions when you're rich. So Paul is saying, look, earthly riches are cool. You know what? It hopefully you will win the lottery. That would be great. But so much better, like 20,000 times better are the riches that come with Christ. Let's read a few scriptures that teach us about real riches. I don't know if you've seen our little blurb on Instagram or on Facebook, but it, what we're, the book of Ephesians teaches us about real riches. Not ones that fade away, that pass away, or that when we die go on to someone else who's going to squander them, but true riches. First, real comfort. The peace of Christ, John 14 talks about this. It says, uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the, as the world gives. It's different than earthly riches, that's what I give to you. Let, here's how, what he says. He says, Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is speaking to the same thing that Paul is speaking to. If you get the true comfort from Christ, it is going to blast right through the suffering and the fear and the terror of life on this earth. Then also, the scriptures talk about real security in Christ. And Paul's going to get to this later on in Ephesians chapter. We're going to study it next week. Ephesians chapter 3, 17. It says, "I want." Paul says, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith so that you are rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded. So that you are so dug down into the love of Jesus Christ that when the storms come, you do not get blown over. Your tree does not fall. You are flourishing because you are so deep in the love of Jesus Christ. That's real security. And then real power. Second Timothy talks about this. Um, it says, this is Paul again talking. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That is the spirit that God gives. That's real power. And then let me talk just for a moment about real hope. Riches, earthly riches bring hope. But Paul, Paul says in Second Corinthians, we do not lose heart. Why? Again, he's encouraging Christians, again, don't lose heart. Why? Because though your outer self is wasting away, this body you're in right now, your inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For we know that if this tent, he calls our body a tent. We know if this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Real, real hope, he says. Not just in this earth, not just a bunch of cars and a garage, but there is going to be a brand, no matter how you feel today, I don't know how y'all feel today. But generally when I wake up on Sunday morning, I'm sore. I just am. It's been a long week. And I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. I set my alarm extra early on Sunday morning. And I'm like, Lord, why can you not just make it so that I can preach from bed? Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. I could put a camera on my ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. You guys could be in bed too? Yeah. Kidding. That, Paul's going to talk about what the church is. That's not the church. Nathan in bed on Sunday morning. But y'all know what I'm talking about. You have days where you're like, I'm not getting up. No way. I'm calling in sick today. I need some comfort. And, and what Paul is saying, what the Bible is saying to us, is that there's real hope only through Christ. And then finally, I want to talk uh, just to, for a second about possessions. You know, having a lot of stuff is is nice. To have your closets full of really cool clothes, is, is nice. I mean, to make sure you have all the amenities you need, it's great. I mean... Nice car, nice home, it's, it's, it's sweet. But ultimately, the Bible says, teaches, the only possession that you truly need for your heart is Christ himself. That is it. If you lose absolutely everything else, including your family, including what you hold to for security, that is enough, the Bible teaches. That is Enough. The ultimate possession. And so, what Paul is getting at in this passage, he's saying, he's saying, you, I promise people, my church, this is Paul talking, and I'm talking to you, our church, you are consistently going to be tempted to lose heart. About God, about Jesus, about the church, About the truth of Scripture, you just are because life is going to come at you a thousand miles an hour on a daily basis, and you—it's going to be so easy to be like, "I don't know," like, "Is this all?" Like, "Are we making this up?" That's what suffering does to any person. You're not alone. If suffering at some point in your life has made you say, "Lord, what in the world? Why? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to my children? Why are you doing this to my parents? Whatever it might be." Paul knows it's a real danger, and he's saying, stop and think. Think about the riches that you have been given in Christ. Think about it. Go to Scripture and spend time really diving into it. Don't turn the TV on. Don't go and to the concert, though those are good things. I love TV. But ultimately, those are not going to be what carries you through the suffering. What carries you through the suffering is thinking about the riches of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's more, though. Paul also says, I want you to observe a couple of things. Now, he's encouraging us to observe a couple of things. Because what he says here, and y'all, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. Verse 10. He says, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. Where? Where? In the heavenly places. I don't know if you've ever, like, focused on this verse before. But he's saying the church is a display to angels and demons. Okay. Okay. So observe in the same way that angels and demons do. Observe what God is doing through the mysterion. That's the Greek. We talked about it last week. The mystery of God. The mystery of God. See, He says it right here. Verse 9. And what what he feels like he's been called by God to do, by God's grace working in his life. I can't hold it in. I gotta get it out. I wanna bring light for everyone about what is the plan of the mystery of God hidden for ages, who created all things. So there's two things that Paul is saying the angels and demons observe, and I want you to observe. The Mysterion, the mystery, and what he okay, he terms it manif or the ESV translates it manifold wisdom. That word manifold—I mean, somebody know what a man, manifold even means, right? I didn't. I was like, what does manifold mean? The only thing—it's a car part. Another word you can use for that is iridescent, something that is just bright, just so bright that it burns your eyes. So the the bright wisdom of God, the iridescent wisdom of God, and the mysterion are the two things that you need to observe. Okay. That's great, I can say those words, but what does that even mean? Here's what it means to observe the mysterion. The mysterion is, or the mystery, things that don't go together that do go together, that God has brought together. That's a better way to put it. Things that don't go together that God has brought together. You. Let me give you some examples of things that don't seem like they go together, but in the mystery of God they're together. Prince Harry and who? Anybody? Anybody? Meghan Markle. Markle. You ever seen this on the news? Okay. (laughs) Two things that never should go together. But somehow by the mystery of God, they were brought together. It's amazing. And it's a saga. And the tabloids love it. Here's another one for you. I like salads. Well, I'm starting to like salads because I'm on a little bit of a diet. And oil and balsamic vinegar. You, you have to shake really hard. But then you, what you do is you shake really hard and fast. And then you immediately pour it on your salad. Otherwise, they go like this. Why? Because they're not made to go together. But some genius figured out, let's put them together. And then put it on leaves. <laughs> and, and, and it'll make these leaves edible. Never meant to go together. Another one we had, we had fondue Friday night at the show house. Yeah, yeah. And Lyndon had this idea that she was going to take her marshmallow because we were dipping it in chocolate, duh, fondue, chocolate fondue. And we had peanut butter out at the same time and she, duh, she put her marshmallow in peanut butter. And I was like, that's crazy. Let me try it. And I did. And I was like, this is a mousterion. This is God bringing together two things that should never go together. Okay. Now let's, let's go a little bit deeper than that. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to say it again. Every religion is peddling the same thing. Every religion outside of Christianity is peddling the same thing. You be good, try real hard, be a moral person, and you might get close to God or you know, get the blessings of God or, or get you know, the God to look down on you and give you some favor and get you, you know, what you want, right? To get your crops to grow or get you know, more money in your bank account. Christianity comes along and says, nope, you are going to get insanely close to God. Paul talks, he's going to talk about it later in chapter 3. He's going to say, I want you with boldness to go into the very throne room of the king of the universe. Again, crazy. I want you to go there and I'm going to provide a way for you. Not your moral deeds, not you've been good for most of your life, but I'm gonna sac the the God that God, that king of the universe, is gonna sacrifice his own son and provide a way for you. And the only thing you have to do is nothing. Nothing except believe in his son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. That's those two things should never go together. Sinful human beings and the perfect king, righteous king of the universe, should never go together ever. And yet God has provided by his, this is the musterion, God has provided a way. It is a miracle. It it should consistently blow our minds. And we're supposed to, Paul says, observe it. Watch it. Watch people who, the most unlikely people. Heck, look at yourself. Just, Just go look in the mirror this afternoon. Laugh a little bit. Should you be? Should I? Should I be allowed into the throne room of the King of the Universe? Absolutely not. Never. It's a miracle. It should bring us incredible joy. You know it. You know it in your heart. I know it in my heart. I should not be allowed within a million miles of the King of the Universe, who is perfect and holy and righteous. And yet, through Jesus Christ, I get to come with boldness into the throne room. Paul saying, "Observe that," and then he goes on. He says. Just as miraculous as that is that we're in this room together this morning. We should never be here. We shouldn't. I I mean, he says the church is a miracle of God bringing together things that should never be together. You get to be loved on by people who will see your mess and stick with you. That's the church. That's the church. People who see your mess or you see their mess and we stick together. And we help each other and we love each other and we give grace to one another and we forgive one another and we bear each other's burdens. This is a miracle, says the Bible. As a, just as a reminder for us as a church, and I talked about this last week, but hey, Paul's still on the same topic, so we're going to bring it up again. Does anybody know your mess? Because as the church, what we're supposed to do is let other people know our mess and get to know their messes. That's it. And, he, and Paul says what the real miracle will be, not that somebody told you their mess, the miracle is that you're going to stick with them and they're going to stick with you. And I know the reason, I'm in the same boat, y'all, the reason we don't reveal our messes is because we're afraid of what? That people are going to run away from us. And, and you know what? We've had an experience probably before in our life where someone actually did run away from us because we actually told what we were struggling with. But he's, Paul is saying, no, no. If, if it's working, if, the mysterion, if you are observing the mysterion that you have been allowed into the throne room of the king of the universe, then you are able to let it all out and you are able to hear and let other people let it all out. That is the church. It's not that complicated because he says I am putting you and when this happens when we love in this way when we forgive in this way when we share in this way he's saying the angels and the demons are observing y'all ever since okay so we did it from the Westminster Confession angels and demons are real first of all and they're in a cosmic battle I don't know if you knew this there's a cosmic battle going on. That's why when you say, okay, it feels like there's evil in this place or there's evil spirits or, you know, whatever, you're feeling the fact that there is a cosmic battle taking place between angels and demons. Now, th- this is crazy, if, but, but it's in the Bible. They, those at war angels and demons are observing human beings and seeing us come together. And God is saying, look, Look at what my gospel does. Paul goes on later in the scriptures and he says, the angels, the angels want to look into the go- mystery of the gospel. The mysterion. he uses that same word again, because it's so incredible that God would reconcile sinful human beings to himself and that he would draw them towards himself and that he would draw them towards one another. And he's saying to the angels and demons, You observe that because one day that's going to happen for you also. God is going to reconcile all things in the universe through Jesus Christ. That's what it says. All things, including angels and demons, including everything that's falling apart. And you know things are falling apart. Everything falls apart. Relationships fall apart. Your body's falling apart. Your car's car's falling apart. Your house is falling apart. This room is falling apart. Everything's falling apart. But one day, God is going to bring absolutely everything together in Christ. And there's true hope, true comfort, true peace. So there we go. Stop. When the suffering hits, stop. Think about the riches of Christ. Observe the mysterion. Oh, I forgot to mention it's pretty important. The iridescent wisdom. What does that mean? The iridescent wisdom of God. What Paul is talking about is the fact that there is this bright and shining wisdom that is not to be found on this earth. You can read as many books as you want from authors all over the world and you're not going to get this. And here's what this is. Ready? Death leads to life. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. He said, You die to your desires and then you'll start loving. Another thing, the iridescent wisdom of God. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. You're not going to read a book about that. (laughs) The power books you're going to pick up at the bookstore are going to say, get what you can and get it now. And if you have to run over a few people on the way, so be it. That's how it works. Another one the servant is the greatest, said Jesus. The servant is the greatest. Care for the least of these. And here's one I mentioned earlier in our service this morning. Humiliation is the path to exaltation. That's not very fun. And here's another one. Giving is better than receiving. So there's this, there's this wisdom, this iridescent wisdom of God that Paul is saying, look, suffering is a part of the plan. That's a tough one, Right? He's saying your path toward exaltation as a Christian, as a human being, is through humiliation. There isn't another path. It's not just wake up one morning and you're going to be famous and you're going to be awesome and you're going to be a a well-nurtured Christian who serves the Lord. No, there's going to be a path and it probably, it will, not probably, let let me just speak the scriptures. It will involve suffering for others. It will involve sacrifice for others. Why? How do we know that? Because it's what Christ did for us. It is the path. It is the gospel. Now, okay, finally, I, I conclude with this. Ooh, nice. I had a schedule. It's because I talk so fast. So here's the, here's the, can you, Jake, can you go one forward? Okay, let's, we're going back to stop. Sit down. Okay, the bad news comes, the suffering hits, and, it, and you know, you feel it. You worry about the phone call in the middle of the night. You worry about finances. You worry about the insurance settlement. Okay, I don't know what it is for you today, but there's a lot of worry in our lives. Sit down. Sit down first. Get in a chair. Think about the riches of Christ. They are absolutely incredible, and they are going to bring you true comfort, real comfort, real peace, real security, real possessions, and then observe the mysterion. That things that should never, ever be together get brought together oil and balsamic vinegar plan this one i think i'm i think i'm this is what paul's getting at but i'm i'm you know uh, plan for the suffering plan for suffering i don't know why people especially christians why do we get so surprised when suffering hits in our lives we're like <gasps> Oh, I never would have seen this coming. I cannot believe this is happening. That, the, the word of Scripture is, don't be surprised by it. It is a part of the plan. It is a part of the path. It is, God is going to get glory from the suffering in your life. Now, He's provided deep help along the way. So here's part of the planning for suffering. Share your suffering with folks in here. Do it. Just do it. Let's do it. You've thought about it. Let's don't don't do this thing alone. This thing we call life. The church is meant so that we will not, we won't ever do it alone. We we need each other so badly, y'all. Amen. I know it makes me squirm too. I get it. I get it. But Suffering in your life, often, not always, is is nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Do not be ashamed that you, it is not God's curse on you that you're suffering. Often it's God's blessing. And it needs to be shared and it needs, that burden needs to be carried together with one another, Paul says. Don't be ashamed. Okay, and then finally, I conclude with this. A story. It's, and this is the one I think is hardest for us to all believe. And I include myself. Suffering is never in vain. It's never in vain. There's this woman who's written a lot of books and she's toured this sort of speaking circuit in the Christian world. Her name is Joni Erickson Tata. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. But she was, I think, 19 and she was with friends and they were out out uh, of a beautiful lake setting, and she dove off one of the docks and didn't realize that the water was really shallow where she was, and she went head first into the water and hit her head on the bottom and was instantly paralyzed from the neck down. And, I mean, you want to talk about suffering. She shares a lot of it in the books that she's written. But she also shares a lot of the fact that how God has used it in her life to draw her closer to the Lord, how God has used it to bless other people's lives all over the world, and she speaks everywhere, and it's just this beautiful picture of what God can do through suffering. But, she tells a story of when she was in the hospital recovering from this injury. And there was a a girl in the same room, her name was Bobby, and this girl was a high school student. She was 17 years old, and she was at school one day, and she was going to the second floor where her class was, and she started to stumble on the stairs a little bit, and she couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, she went and sat in the nurse's office for a while, and then by the time her mom came to pick her up, she actually could not walk. And so she gets in the car, mom takes her home, and she's like, I just i am feeling terrible. And she lays down on the couch, and then when she wakes up in the morning, she's paralyzed from the waist down. And, you know, the, the doctor trying to figure out. And it, was a face, it, it was a case of rapid onset, what makes your whole body like, MS? Is that? No. ALS. A, ALS? Anyway, it was rapid, the thing that makes your body, like, freeze up where you can't move at all. And um, so it, this rapid onset disease comes onto her, and by the end of the week, she cannot move anything from the neck down. And she didn't, she didn't have a ton of friends at school who would visit her because, you know, she was, it was awkward. I mean, who, who wants to go visit a high schooler, right? You're feeling... Running around at school, and you know, this this quadriplegic that's in the hospital. So, no one from her school came to visit her. No one, she was a Christian, her mother was a Christian, but no one from the church came to visit her. Um, No one came to visit her, except for her mom. That's it. And then, about three or four years later, she died. She was alone with her mom. And Joni Erickson taught a struggle deeply with, well, I can say, She's a quadriplegic. Joni Erickson Tata. I can say I've toured the world. I've spoken at conferences. I've shared my message of how Jesus worked in my life, even through my suffering. And I've written books that have helped people. I have this deep sense of I understand why God made me go through suffering, but not for Bobby. It was her and her mom. No one else saw it. No one else experienced it. And she suffered horrifically until the day she died. And she asked, she was with friends. She's like, Is tell me that's not in vain. That is suffering in vain. And one of her friends said, We were there. We were there, Jacob. Have you seen Ephesians chapter three, verse ten? So that through the church, the iridescent wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And her friend said, Joni, you need to understand. That even though you feel like she did, that girl that Bobby didn't write any books, she didn't tour the world, that she was being watched. And she suffered magnificently with her mother, and the angels and the demons were watching, and God is getting glory in this very moment. There is never a time when we are not being observed. There's never a time. He's saying, God is saying, the church. The work I do through the gospel in people's lives is a display of my glory to the entire angelic and demonic world. That's amazing. And one of the things that verse 10 is teaching us is that suffering is never in vain. It is for the glory of God. And y'all, I'm not saying... I, I, I cannot ever say oh, it's easy or now nah, you got figure it figured out. You stop! Hey, S-T-O-P, you got suffering tackled now. Not at all. But Paul is trying to get across to his readers, and I think Paul's trying to get across to us, and hopefully I got it across a little bit this morning, that there is real and true help in our suffering. That we do get to think about the riches of Christ. We do get to observe the mysterion and the iridescent wisdom of God. And we do get to plan for the fact that we know it's coming, God is going to carry us through because of what we're about to explore as we enter into the table this morning. Let me pray. Lord, suffering. Lord, I know right now there are many in this room who are suffering. And you know the depth of it. You know the heartache of it. You know the the middle of the night tears, Lord. I pray that, Jesus, you would come and work. Work those riches deep down to the roots of our hearts. Lord, work the mystery, the glory, the beauty of bringing things together that should never be together. God, your love is inexhaustible. And we honor and praise you for that love this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would do a great work of healing in all of our hearts. And Lord, for anyone in here this morning, as Paul prayed, for anyone in here that is feeling like they're losing heart, Lord, I pray that you would restore, that you would bind up, that you would bring peace through Jesus Christ alone. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. As I just mentioned earlier, I mean, think about the center point of our religion, of, of our faith. What is it? What's the center point? Anybody? What is this? It's a cross, but it's also a torture device, isn't it? It's actually one of the cruelest torture devices ever created in the history of the universe of the world. And God said, this is the path. <laughs> this is the path for my own son. It is going to be torture and death. And why? So that you don't have to experience the same thing. What a glory. What a Savior. Um, As we come this morning, may we come with joy. This meal is to be a picture for us of God reconciling us with His Son, Jesus Christ, and with Himself, with us, the Father, and this meal is a picture of us being reconciled to one another. The reason that we partake together, that we all pull a piece off and then eat it together, is to show that we're in this together. That's why. That in Jesus, as Jesus fills all of us individually, we are brought together and reconciled with one another. And I would just ask, if, if you have not uh, placed your faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, uh, to spend some time in reflection, spend some time uh, talking to God about the peace that He brings, and surrender yourself today to Jesus Christ. And then, for those of us that, who have uh, placed our faith in Jesus Christ in His sacrifice, His death, His suffering for us, let's now let's let's come before the Lord with honesty in our confession and assurance. We'll, we'll repeat this together and then we'll have a moment of silence. Holy God, you said that you are the light of the world, yet we still refuse to let you into the darkest places of our lives. You said that you are the good shepherd, but we fail to follow where you lead. We are sheep that have gone astray. You said that you are the bread of life, but we seek out other things to satisfy us. You said that You are the truth, that we find ways to deceive ourselves and others. You said that You are life. Forgive us and help us to embrace the mercy, forgiveness, and grace that You offer us so that we can have an abundant life with You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.